in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I have two Bibles this morning uh, because I left this one in my office all week and this is my old school Bible that I had a few years ago and apparently I have lots of notes in it that I completely forgot about and so uh, as I was reading this week, as I was studying, I was enjoying kind of going back through and using my Bible with words big enough for me to read. It was kind of nice. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll be finishing up this week. Last week, Paul gave us a word on marriage. And uh, I expressed to you how it was somewhat uncomfortable for me, and it might be for you, but he was talking about physical love between a husband and a wife. Now we think about that, and many times our our hearts kind of, they kind of recoil. They're like, why are we talking about this in the public setting? Well, Paul is answering questions that were written to him in letter form. Paul spent the first portion of 1 Corinthians addressing the problems that were causing division in the church. And he was very strong with them. He, he rebuked them in many cases in ways where they were puffed up in pride and they were kind of boasting in the fact that they were so free to continue in some things that the Lord does not have for the believer. And so he corrected them in a very strong way. But in the second portion of 1 Corinthians, he actually takes some time and answers their questions. He goes through these questions and he prayerfully considers the answers and then he writes them a response. So in chapter 7, he began by saying, verse 1, concerning the things of which you wrote to me. That tells me he was answering their letter. He's answering their questions. And he goes on and gives uh, verse 1 through about verse 9, he gives principles for the married life. And he does. He talks about physical love and, and its place and why God's given it to married couples. But he's also addressing this ascetic idea. And asceticism is kind of the idea of, well, if I give up a whole bunch of stuff, then I'll be more holy to God. I'll be able to do works that earn his favor. And there are many religions that believe this. The less that you own, the less that you do, the less money you have, um, you know, the, the foods that you eat. Well, you know, I don't eat certain foods because I'm more holy to the Lord. And what Paul does is he addresses this case with marriage. There was an idea going around then and there is now still that if you're not married, then you're probably more holy in the eyes of the Lord because of certain things. Well, Paul says, and he addresses this, he says, you know, uh, because of the sexual immorality in our society, it is better if you have the desire to be married just to go ahead and get married. You're not any less in the eyes of the Lord. As a matter of fact, God's given marriage, if you study it in Ephesians chapter 5, to be a picture between, uh, of, of his love for his people, his church. And so it's actually a way that God uses our relationships as a billboard to point to something greater than just marriage itself. But it's about his relationship, his covenant, his promise to love his people as his own bride. And he calls the church the bride of Christ many times in scripture. And so Paul has addressed this idea and he talked about keeping marriage vows. In verse 10 through 16, he gives principles for the married Christian. He, he gives principles like, well, okay, well, what happens if I was already married and then I got saved and now my spouse is not saved? Do I need to leave them? And he says, no, if you were married 
and your spouse is not saved and they'll stay with you, then keep them there because who knows, you might lead them to the Lord just by the very change of your life. So no, don't get married. It's not the Lord's will that you, excuse me, don't get divorced. It's not the Lord's will that you would become divorced. He says, but if the unbelieving spouse says, hey, <laughs> this is too much Jesus, I gotta go, uh, then let them go. And the believer is not to be in bondage or tied up in this way. If that person leaves, then you're free because that's what's made the division, your salvation. And so he gives principles like that and he gives uh, principles uh, about children and unbelie- you know, in, in marriages where one's an unbeliever and one's not. Uh, you know, what am I supposed to do? And so Paul addressed this and we studied it last week. So then in verse 17 through about 24, he gives principles of abiding in God's call. And that's kind of how we ended last week. Paul says, abide wherever God's left you. The idea is to be living as you are called. If you are called by the Lord to salvation, which by the way, he calls whomever will believe. If you are called as a Christian and you're in a circumstance that's not a sinful circumstance, then Paul says, live as you're called. And he spoke to those who were slaves in the last portion of it. He says, if you get saved, and in their culture, slavery was actually pretty prominent, and you're a a slave, but you're a born-again believer, don't seek to be freed from being a slave. But if you are freed, he says, then so be it. God's unhindered you. But if you're not, stay that slave and do all that you've been given to do to the glory of God. In Colossians, Paul writes that same theme. He says, everything that you do, do it to the glory of God. And so Paul, he's addressing their questions in these different ways. But this week, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I was single for a long time. I I wasn't married until I was 28. And so if someone spends an entire week talking about married life, I could kind of feel left out at that point. You know, like, what about me? I'm not married. What am I supposed to be doing? Well, Paul doesn't leave them hanging. Paul knows where they're coming from. He himself is not married. Now, many uh, say that, well, maybe before now he was married, and we don't know why he's not anymore. Perhaps he became a Christian and his wife couldn't deal with it, so she left him. We don't know. Or some say that what might have happened is his, his spouse passed on. She died. And so he decided, because of his very strong beliefs on this, hey, I'm going to stay unhindered. I'm going to let it rip for the Lord. I'm not any longer going to be bound by some of the things that kind of slow me down in my being able to share the gospel. And we are indebted in many ways to Paul's single lifestyle because if he was married and had children, I guarantee that most of the New Testament, he wouldn't have had time to write it. Not to mention the churches that he was writing to, he, they would have never been planted, not by the hand of Paul anyway. Now God would have raised somebody up in his place to do the work. If God has a desire to do something and we go, you know what, that's not for me, <laughs> we're not going to stop the cause of God. So, But Paul says here, in verse 25, and that's where we're beginning this week, he says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord Yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy, or the word is faithful. He says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, ladies, he's not just talking to men, 
But the idea is mankind. If someone is a believer, and if they are single, he says, in Paul's estimation, it's better that they remain single. He's not saying, to couple what we learned last week, he's not saying you're more holy if you stay single. He says if you are a believer and you are single, that you're better off if you stay that way. And he's going to explain why. He's not just going to say something and leave us hanging. He says it's good for a man to remain as he is, in verse 26, because of the present distress. Now, what is the distress that he's talking about? Well, may I submit to you, he's talking about the same thing he was talking to married people about in verse 2. He says in verse 1 of the same chapter, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, not to be in a relationship where he's involved physically. But verse 2, he says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, which was the culture that they were living in, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. In other words, because of sexual immorality, because you don't have self-control, let's be in relationships with one person and just be that way. It's okay. But in this case, he's talking about the single people. He says, it's good for a man to remain as he is. So then he explains, verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Then do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. The idea is, um, the idea when Jesus talked about being unequally yoked, he said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, from a carpenter's sense, they would make these yokes. Now, I've explained this before, and my pastor's explained this before, and some guy got really upset afterwards. He said, this is all weird. What are you guys talking about yolks? And, you know, he thought they were talking about a broken egg with a yolk in it. But the yolk is not, an, not the center of an egg, but it's this wooden piece that they would put over two animals that were plowing a grain field together. And they would build it out of wood. The carpenters would make these. They weren't metal, they weren't plastic, and they would put them over the animals. And those animals, if they were equally yoked, they would be about the same height, and they wouldn't rub each other the wrong way. Now imagine, if you will, you guys ever do a one-legged race? You take the cloth or whatever they give you, bed sheets that have been ripped up, and you tie your leg together. Now, if me and Herschel get in a one-legged race together, he's quite a bit taller than me. And so we yoke each other together, no big deal, and then we start to run. Except each one of us has a different size stride. And because of that, he's feeling like he's got to drag me, and I'm feeling like I'm drug. And so the problem is, when two animals are yoked together, and one of them's a donkey, one of them's an ox, they're not, they're not the same. And so the whole time they're going like this, and meanwhile that yoke is rub rubbing their skin raw. And so for believers to be married, to be yoked to someone, is the idea of to be bound to them. Now, it's not a burden to be married, although sometimes it can be. And we need to make sure that we are bound. Now, obviously, you don't have to be the same height. That's not the idea. But spiritually bound together with a person who's a Christian following Jesus Christ and a person who is not, who is following their own selfish desires, you could see where they'd rub each other raw. Two kingdoms colliding constantly. Never any unity, never any peace or joy. It can't be experienced that way. And so Paul says here, when he's talking about being bound, that's what he's saying. He's saying, are you bound to a wife? 
Are you physically made one flesh in the covenant that God's given for marriage? He said, if that's the case, then don't seek to be unbound. Don't seek to be untied or loosed. Because what God has joined together, let no man divide. Let no man put asunder. That's the old King Jimmy. So he says, are you loosed from a wife? In other words, have you been divorced? He says, do not seek a wife. It's okay. Or are you loosed because she passed? Now, there are many who, when they are divorced or when they've lost their spouse, they never get married again. That's not God's command saying you cannot unless the case of sexual immorality because two people that have been broken apart because of that, God says, unless, you know, if they're believers, then they are not to be remarried. We talked about that in the beginning of chapter 7. So we won't get into it right now. If you have questions, we can talk about it afterwards. But then he says, verse 28, even if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. And the idea of a virgin is someone who is, is living in the home, uh, someone who is not married, and their, their, um, their dad has not given them away in marriage. Nevertheless, verse 28, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Now, I heard one guy say about this very verse, he said, seems to me like Paul's been married before. He's got a little wisdom on this. He says there, nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh because of marriage. He says, but I'm telling you that it's better that you stay single. I would spare you from that trouble. You know, that there are many positives to being married, but there are also negatives. And so you need to weigh both. You need to make a sober decision. And your decision first and foremost needs to be based on what has God called you to be? Has he called you to be single or has he called you to be married? I prayed about this for many years. Now, I will tell you, I never had the desire to remain single, but the Lord kept me single until I was 28 for a reason. Number one, I had, he had some, some major work to do on me, and he still does. But had I got married before it was his time for me, it would have been major problems down the road. So he says, it's better for someone to remain single and for these reasons. Verse 29, but this I say, brethren, that the time is short so that from now on, even as those who have wives should be as those that had none. Those who weep as those who did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. And what's Paul talking about there? He's talking about how marriage is important, that marriage is good in the sight of God, that it's useful. And then he's talked about how singleness is good and God can use it, that we are to live as we're called, to not seek to be on the other side of the fence just because it looks better than the, the side that we're on. You know, I said this last week and I probably said it four million times, but the idea is the grass is always greener on the other side and it will always look like it's someone else has it better than you. The grass is always greener on the other side, but the water bill, check that, because it's probably higher. There are costs to the things we decide to do. And so he says there, I say this, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. So is he saying that husbands are to neglect their wives? Is that what Paul's writing? 
you have to ask the question because it seems like he's saying that. But if you take it out of the context of this entire chapter, it would seem that way. But you always got to look 10 verses ahead and 10 verses after. Because in the context, he's not saying ignore your wives and, and despise them and wish that they weren't there. He's saying that because of the time is short in this life, we should be careful that we don't focus on the wrong thing. He's saying there, from now on, even those who have wives should live as though they had none. He's not saying ignore your wife. He's saying, remember that this life is short. Now, one guy that I read and listened to, he said this. He said, the time is short, many believe, is meaning that Jesus is coming back at any time. And while I agree with that, I don't fully agree with that in the context of this verse. I believe what he's saying is that our lives are short. Look at it from the Genesis account all the way till now. Because sin being in the world, lifespans have gotten shorter and shorter. In the beginning, the very oldest man lived to be 969 years old. Does anybody know who that was? Methuselah. Okay, so then you go ahead several years and generations and you get to time of Moses. How long did Moses live? 120 years. He had what we would call three seasons in his life, major seasons. Uh, the first 40 years, he was being educated in Egypt. The second 40 years, he ended up going to the backside of the desert. And seemingly, uh, we don't know a whole lot about what he did, but he did get married during that time. And God did a lot of things preparing him and humbling him in the wilderness. And it was during that time that the Lord met him in the burning bush. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm going to send you to back to Egypt where you came from and you're going to be the deliverer for the Israelite, my Israelite people. And so 80 years old, he goes back. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I think about the Exodus account, I don't think about, you know, this old 80-year-old guy going to Egypt to deliver the people. I think of like this young Charlton Heston-like figure where he's still strong. and But the, the reality is he was 80 years old, but he was still in the prime of his years. He was 120 years old when the Lord took him on the mount before they went into the promised land. Remember, he was not allowed to go in because he misrepresented the Lord. Instead of speaking to the rock and bringing the water forth from it, he struck the rock twice. So he misrepresented the heart of God. He said, you know, you, you insolent people, you hard-hearted. And, and he just threw this fit like I do sometimes when Lucy makes me upset. I misrepresent the Lord. The Lord takes that very seriously. My point being, rabbit trail after rabbit trail, is that during that time when Moses passed, he was 120 years old. And from that time on, that you go to King David. And King David, when he wrote the Psalms, he, he wrote about how a man's life really is... 70 plus or minus years, about an average of 70 years old. Now we think of the people that we know that live to be 90, 95, 100. We're like, man, we're really, you know, our healthcare system and everything. It's just, man, it's making people live a lot longer. But if you look at the average age, it's really about 60. And sometimes in some cases, especially in some countries, if you take that average, it actually goes down to about 45 to 50. Now think about that and think about how many people you know, maybe even yourself. Think about your own age and how many years if you were only going to live to 60. 
For some of you, 50 seems like forever away. And for some of you, 60. And for some of you, you're going, oh, well, I'm on borrowed time. And that's okay, because we can look at things like that. I shouldn't even be here. God has a reason for me to still be here. There's encouragement in that. Lord, what, what do you want me to do today? And so what Paul's saying here is not so much that Jesus is coming back, although I believe fully and full, uh, wholeheartedly that he could come back at any moment. And, and somebody asked me this at work the other day, and so I'm going to give you what my answer was. Because he goes, you think Jesus is going to come back in the next five years? And I said, I hope so. Of course, he didn't like that answer. He said, yeah, but I mean, take out all the, you know, well, no man knows the day or the hour. I'm like, no, I can't take that out. That's what I believe. And so I'm not going to guess. In 1988, there was a book that came out. It said 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Well, in 89, guess what they did? They printed it again. They added a reason. You know, the reality is we could come up with all kinds of reasons why we believe Jesus is coming back. I was reading the Olivet Discourse this morning in the gospel accounts, and it, he's talking about the signs of the time. And I'm going, we're living in them. But I believe God's heart is always for us to see those things, to walk soberly, and to believe, and to know that any moment he could be coming back. <clears throat> this is why I brought my other Bible this morning. Because in Luke, I just marked the, you know, the heading, in Luke chapter, uh, I believe it is 21, verse 29, we'll start in 25, Luke 21, 25, this is what Jesus said, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations, sounds familiar, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh or near. Then he spoke to them in a parable. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees when they are ready, excuse me, when they are already budding, you see and you know for yourselves that summer is near. He's giving them a word picture of what they would have noticed. Just like us in the valley, when we start to see the buds on the trees and we start to hear the birds chirping, we know that spring and summer are coming. He's saying the same thing. You can look at the trees and you know what season is coming. He says, Verse 31, so you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So then he gives application in verse 34. He says, but take heed to yourselves. The idea of taking heed means to pay attention you know, what you would wish your kids would do when they won't, and you're trying to instruct them on how to do something. You say, pay attention. And Jesus is saying that. He's saying, take heed. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down or burdened with carousing. That makes sense. We shouldn't be weighed down with carousing. This is an obvious one. Uh, drunkenness. Okay, that's an obvious one. But here's one that I didn't notice until this morning. And the cares of this life. Take heed the carousing and drunkenness 
and the cares of this life don't weigh you down. It's interesting that those two would be listed with that one. And that day come on you unexpectedly. That's what he's saying. Be careful that these three things don't weigh you down and really distract you. And then the day of the Lord come on you unexpectedly. Well, I didn't know it was coming. What were you paying attention to? Were you paying attention to the Lord and the signs of the times and what his word has to say about it and sobering us up and giving us proper perspective? Or were you weighed down with the cares of this life? He says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So, that's from the Olivet Discourse. So back to our passage today. What does that have to do with what Mike's talking about? Well, here we are in 1 Corinthians 7, and he says this. This I say, brethren, verse 29, the time is short so that from now on even those who have wives should be as those that had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess. In other words, not getting so involved in our daily stuff that we forget why we're here, that we forget what God is doing in the eternal scheme of things. Living as if we live for a kingdom whose builder and maker is God and not getting so wrapped up in our day-to-day that we forget that. We lose perspective (laughs) when we do that. So, he says there, those who use this world is not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. So in Ephesians chapter 5, he speaks about this. I referred to Ephesians 5 earlier to talk about the marriage relationship, but before he even gets to the marriage relationship, in verse 15, he says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, or carefully would be another word, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. They're short. They'll be here and they'll vanish like a vapor. Therefore, he says, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Walking soberly, circumspectly, carefully, understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so Paul here is, once again, I want to point out, he's not against marriage. He's just saying to those who are single, it is a blessing and you should accept it as that. You should live as though it were a blessing and live to give thanks For this time in your singleness, I told a young man one time, uh, Ezra, he's actually taught here before, I said, Ezra, because he was, you know, 15, 16 at the time, okay? You know, 15 and 16-year-old guys, they just have no clue. And he was just telling, and I've told this to him too, so I'm not, you know, mocking him behind his back. But I said, I said, Ezra, what's wrong? And he's like, I'm just so busy. I got so much going on. 15, 16-year-old kid, he's living in his parents' house. He has no bills. You know, I know all these things, but he's unaware. And I said, Ezra, you are never, you will never be less busy than you are right now. And I think that's true of every person, by the way. It's not a 15, 16-year-old kid only. We are never less busy than we are right now. It's going to get more complicated as time goes on, not simpler. And I told him that, not to discourage him, but to let him know, like, 
This time that you have as a single young Christian man is a time of preparation and God's given it to you for a reason. Take advantage of it. Enjoy it. Just like our little girl who is two years old now. We were looking at a picture yesterday and I was talking to my wife about it. She was bald, little cue ball with the huge cheeks. And she was just like, she just needed us for everything. And we were overwhelmed because we were like, my goodness, you know, like, is this ever going to end? But she said, you know, the reality is now it's over and I'm missing it. And now we're getting ready to have another one. And she goes, in the middle of us being overwhelmed by how much this little one needs, we need to remember it's only a short time. And in this life, the same is the case. We only have a short time here on earth. We need to go ahead and just live as if we've got only a short time and enjoy it. So, verse 32. He says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. Now he gets a little bit into some confusing language here, but he says there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. He's saying someone who is married and someone who is single. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So there it is, weighed down with burdens. If you're single, you have way less to deal with than to be worried about to please your spouse. And so he's saying, you know, this is a blessed time for you. And this I say for your own profit, verse 35, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So the idea is, again, Paul's not saying, hey, I'm not telling you you got to stay single not trying to put a burden on you you were never meant to carry. Some people are called to be single. That's their calling in life. And some people are called to be married. And so the idea is not to put a burden on you, but again, to exhort you that this time of your life, God's given to be a blessing. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, Let them marry. So the idea here is he's talking about a man who has a daughter in his home, who is a virgin, and he's not given her over to be married yet. He says if if he's behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. If your daughter comes to you, I want to get married. Now, obviously, those are different times, right? You know, in today's day and age, it's like sometimes you p- parents find out, they're like, oh, you're getting married. Oh, I thought, you know, at some point you talked to us about this before all of a sudden here it comes. But that's the day and age that we live in, unfortunately. And uh, But he's saying here, uh, if a man has a daughter and she wants to get married, let them marry. It's not a bad thing. Nevertheless, verse 37, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his will... And has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty or freedom to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So then he turns the corner in verse 39 and starts to talk about those who have lost their spouse. He says if someone 
is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But at that point, she's no longer married when he passes or she passes. So Paul teaching here in the midst of this, that remarriage is an okay thing in the eyes of the Lord. But remember the vows that we even still repeat to this day, although I think most people don't really listen to them. It says, till death do us part. Now there are cases where uh, that's um, broken in the relationship, but that was last week's study, or maybe a couple weeks ago. Anyway, verse 40, but she is happier if she remains as she is according to my judgment, and I too think I have the Spirit of God. Paul's not here saying, well, you know, I, I think I have the Spirit of God. I think I know what I'm talking about. He's just reminding them that, you know, this isn't a command so much as it is a precept, an understanding to have for someone who is single or someone who has been widowed. My grandma, I got to see her yesterday. And when my grandpa passed away, she was 65. And for the entire last 10 to 15 years of his life, the only thing that she could attend to was making sure that she took care of him because he could do nothing. He had several strokes and he wasn't able to do anything for himself anymore. Anything. So all the stuff that you do your, for your children when they're babies, you got to do that for your spouse. Imagine, that's love. I don't care what anybody says, that is love. But then after her husband passed away, everybody's like, oh, are you going to get remarried? Because she was like 65 when that happened. And my pa- everybody that ever, ever meets my mom and my grandma at the same time, they're always like, are they sisters? Now, they're not anywhere close to sisters, but my grandma is so youthful. And so she's just out doing stuff all the time. Well, when grandpa passed away, she had all this extra energy from taking care of grandpa for so long that she was like, hey, I'm going to travel. So when her uh, granddaughter went to Hawaii on a flight and went with the marching band, she's like, I want to go. And she's flying all the place, still drives up and forth, back and forth to Chicago. She's unhindered. And you know what she does with her time? She goes and sees her grandkids. But the other thing she does with her time that not many people know about is on Thursdays at the Methodist Church in Farmington, they do a free meal for whoever wants to come in from the community. And so she goes over and she gives her time to do that. And when Christmas time comes around, she makes us our gifts. Like, she is a wonderful sewer. I still have my bear blankie from when I was a kid. It's still, you know, Kelly says it stinks. But I'm not getting rid of that thing. Like, it's mine. You know, but the idea is she's serving others with her singleness. She's no longer bound by someone being in the house, needing her and, and wanting to be around her. She wants to bless others. And so she's using her time to, to do kingdom work. And so Paul here is just encouraging those who are single. There's nothing wrong with being single. There's nothing wrong with being single. But if your singleness causes you to carouse, and to spend your time in drunkenness, and you find ways to be in the cares of the world anyway, Paul says it's better that you marry and stop running around like that. So, um, I guess this morning in this passage, I know a lot of us aren't single, and I know there's many single in this room. Embrace it. Use it for what God has for you to do right now. And until the Lord changes that situation, learn to be content. One of the things I wish I could do is go back to my singleness and be content. Lord, I'm content in my relationship with you. And if you can learn to be content in your relationship with him and someone else comes along that's content in their relationship with him, you know what God's going to do if he wants you to be married? He's going to all of a sudden 
you're, you're going to see them. They're, they're going to have been there for the longest time and they're going to be so in love with the Lord and you're going to be so in love with the Lord that all of a sudden your desire is going to be similar and you'll get married for the right reasons. Many people get married so they can fulfill one another, but it never works that way. But if you can find someone who is so in love with the Lord that what they do just blesses your socks off, then that, that is a joy-filled relationship and you can find peace in that. So uh, anyway, let's close in prayer. Lord, we have a very practical word this morning from Paul. And many times we uh, think about some of the things that go on in this life and, and we really want to get to the deeper things. We want to talk about end times prophecy and we want to talk about um, the coming of the Lord and we want to talk about uh, baptism and and you know Jesus is called to go make disciples. But sometimes, Lord, uh, your word just has a very practical word for us. And as disciples, how are we to have relationships with others? And I think there's one thing in this life that we kind of overlook because we do get weighed down with the cares of, the, cares of this earth. Um, that the only thing that we really get to take with us to heaven is the relationships you've given us. And so, Lord, help us to invest in those relationships Help us to behave rightly towards one another, towards our spouses, uh, towards those who are single. Lord, help us to have proper perspective in each, um, in each season of our life, whether it's singlehood, whether it's marriage, uh, whether it's um, the relationship we have with our boss, whatever it might be, Lord, um, you know what each one of us is going through. And so, Lord, we thank you for the word from Paul about marriage, and we thank you for the word from Paul about singleness. Lord, help us to take up the, uh, the exhortation in Colossians 3 in everything we do uh, to bring glory to your name as we carry ourselves, Lord. Use us in a mighty way. And Lord, shine your light through us as we do that. Lord, use these very practical ways we relate with one another to show others your love and your care and your gentleness with us. So Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would use it in a mighty way today. And Lord, we pray you bless our week as we uh, serve you in each and every area of our lives, Lord. Leave no stone unturned. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you all stand? We're going to sing one more song. As I was talking to Mike this week, he said,